Well, you have the words for the uh, portion of the chapter we're going to be looking at tonight. Why don't we read that in unison? Remain seated. That's Luke 24, verses 13 to 27 that's before us. I think uh, hearing it read together is a great way to prepare our minds for the study of this great chapter. So let's pray together. Lord, would you please be our teacher tonight? This text talks about how you opened eyes to see. We've sung that, and we pray it might be true. This passage talks about hearts being on fire with the Word of God. Would you let our hearts again sense the burning joy of being in your presence because you have spoken to us. Lord, only you can do this, and we ask in your mercy you would indeed be in our midst, and we would be blessed by being your people. We ask us in Christ's name. Amen. Let's read this together, beginning at verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Well, thank you for reading that passage. Luke 24 is a truly amazing text. Uh, it's quite remarkable that Jesus decided not to let the people know who he was. You know, he, he, he wanted them to discover it by hearing the scriptures. And in doing that, he was giving us a model for the rest of the church. We don't get to walk with Jesus in his incarnate form. He wanted them to hear the word of God and say, this is who Jesus is. And of course, he confirmed it by some of the miracles and things that are in this passage. But part of what we want to get tonight as we study together is the fact that we have the same Bible that these people had that Jesus used. 
And the experience that Jesus led them in is one that ought to be universal for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in all ages. Okay, So we're going to be looking at this passage tonight then. And uh, sometimes we come to the Old Testament in particular. And maybe in your mind's eye you can imagine uh, a river going through uh, a very snowy mountainscape. And on the other side you cross the river and it comes to a Florida scape normally when it's not cold and rainy. Palm trees, coconuts, warm beaches. And it's kind of like we're finally out of the Old Testament, that old and cold period, and we're in the warmth of Jesus' country. We're finally in a place where we can celebrate. We want to get the old and cold behind us, get to the new and warm, and we just need an expert driver to get us out of the Old Testament. So thank God for a few pastors that can preach a little bit and get us back to Jesus in the New Testament. But is that how Jesus wants us to read the Bible? That's really the question before us tonight. How would Jesus want us to approach the only Bible that he knew? The New Testament had not been written. He was making the New Testament by his life. He was a follower of the old covenant words of Scripture, the Old Testament. And tonight as we look at Luke 24, we've read part of it. But remember now, this is the very first day of Christianity in its fullest sense. It's the day that Jesus has now been raised from the dead. Christianity has been born. This is the Lord's Day. It's Sunday. It's the first day after the Sabbath. Now, Christians worship on that day because of this event. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And as we look at Luke 24, starting at verse 1 and going through about verse 49, there are basically eight episodes or sessions of teaching of the Word of God that happen here. And so what we have here is the first Sunday school, the first worship service, the first celebration of Easter that becomes the model of what every Sunday ought to be like. Did you know that Easter Sunday is every Sunday? Easter Sunday tells us that the old Sabbath doesn't measure up anymore. It was commanded to be kept. But God has made a new creation. A creation that was soiled and damaged by human sin, placed under a curse. And the one who bore the curse came and took that away. And he made all things new. We are new creatures in Christ. We celebrate on the first day of the week because the Sabbath day has moved one day forward. Jesus has made the world new. He's made it over again. And this is the Sunday that we are experiencing, Lord willing, today. So we're going to look at eight sessions. I'll identify the verses for if you want to follow them. And we'll read them a step at a time. But let's remember the context, okay? Luke 23, obviously, is the immediate context. And that's the story of the cross. Jesus is before Pilate. Jesus is before Herod. Pilate decides to punish and then release Jesus. But the crowd says, no, we want him to be crucified. They'd rather have the criminal Barabbas instead of Jesus. This, they thought, pseudo-Messiah. And Pilate yields to the pressure of the crowd and Jesus is crucified. We see Jesus bearing his cross. He's crucified between criminals. And he's mocked by the criminals as well as the people. And then he dies. And then he's buried. The humiliation of all of that. 
It's remembering that that makes the story that we read next so utterly sparkling with glory. Because this one that's utterly defeated and chained and killed and mocked and despised, dead and buried, has conquered the greatest enemy humans have ever encountered, death itself. He lives. And that miracle of his life is so extraordinary that the people that are experiencing it can't believe it. So we're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 8 in a moment, but all the way through this passage, when you have a chance, you might want to read it again on your own. And look, every time it mentions people speaking, reading, reciting scripture, discussing, this is filled with conversation and reading. The words really matter. It's something where people are wrestling with it which is one of the great images of what a Christian Lord's Day ought to look like. We ought to be talking about these things, discussing them with each other, hearing them preached, hearing them read, trying to figure out what all they mean. And as we begin then, session one is what we find in the first eight verses of Luke 24. Let me read it quickly. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. They are the women who had seen where Jesus was buried. They were coming now, we're told, to uh, help prepare the body more fully for burial. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? What a startling statement. This is, this is a cemetery. This is a tomb. This was a, a horrible death. You're talking about we're seeking the living? Living among the dead? Why? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So these angels that are meeting the women are saying, didn't you listen to what Jesus said? Jesus has talked about this. Have you forgotten it already? It's a wonderful play on words here. To remember means your mind goes to work. Do you know what a tomb is in the original language? A remembering place. They are at the remembering place and they're not remembering. You can feel the irony of that. There they are. They should be remembering what Jesus said. They don't remember it, but they've remembered where he's buried because it's a remembering place of one who's dead. So that's this scene that we have, that he had spoken about this. And then it says, and they remembered his words. His words came back to mind. They remembered what Jesus had said. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. So what we see then are the women are there. And three times then Jesus had in his teaching said that he would be crucified and that he would rise. Those three times are all recorded in each of the synoptic gospels. You can follow in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You'll find uh, John will mention the fact that Jesus said, I'm going to take my life back. But three times he mentions that. And then the question that we look at, it says, on the third day, have you ever wondered 
How Jesus got the idea that it would happen on the third day? Notice here in verse 7, it says that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So Jesus is saying uh, to his disciples three times, I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to rise again and it's going to be on the third day. Now, remember, this is the first day of the week. So if you go back, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's the third day. If they really remembered his words, they said, man, this is going to happen. Totally forgotten. And so they return. The women have the first lesson. The first lesson are the angels taught the first Sunday school class in history to a women's Bible study. And they didn't remember what Jesus said, but they did remember after they were reminded. And so it brings us to the second Sunday class. And ladies, you need to delight in this. The women are teaching the disciples here. Can we hear an amen from the women out there? <laughs> Pastors, they've got to squirm a little bit. You know, these women are good teachers. Jesus gave the privilege of telling the empty tomb to women to report to the disciples. So you read in verses 9 to 12. This is the second session. As remember, they're remembering the words of Jesus. His words are important. They're remembering what they had heard from the angels. Now they're coming back. It says in verse 9, And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. Why is there only eleven? Because Judas is off the scene now. And all the rest. So it means other Christian followers were gathered with them. They all are grieving in this extraordinary crucifixion scene. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They said, these ladies are out of their brain. This can't be. Now, they'd heard Jesus say these things three times. They had totally forgotten it. They, they couldn't take it in. They did not believe it. The apostles were not believers. I don't believe in the resurrection. Jesus is not alive. Ladies, it didn't happen. You had a hallucination. You're confused. But at least Peter had enough sense to say, maybe I better check it out. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen closed by themselves. He went home marveling at what had happened. So the second thing that happens on this first Sunday of Christianity in its full expression, is that the angels have a class with the women. The women have a class with the disciples. The women think there's something going on. The disciples don't. But Peter said, maybe there is. Which brings us then to the third class. Little by little, they're learning. This is verses 13 to 24 now. And this is an inductive study conducted by Jesus incognito to two disciples. Okay, so what do we mean by incognito? He didn't let them know who he was. Jesus is now alive. These two disciples are walking away, forlorn, and they're debating and struggling over what has just happened in Jerusalem. So begin reading at verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Now the word Emmaus really means hot springs. And so you have to wonder, why were they going to this little town of Hot Springs? Well, maybe they'd been at Passover and they said, you know, we're close. We need to go to the spa and kind of relax. We've had some really rough. We're Christians and it's been a mess. 
But hey, I got a pass at the hot springs. Let's go. And while they're going, they're taking the trip about a seven-mile walk. They were there in town for the Passover. That's why all the crowds were there. They were visitors. They're leaving. They're going. Maybe they were from Emmaus, but they may have had a reason to go there for uh, relaxation or just to get away and to unwind. And as it says, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And the original language is a lot more than talking. It's like they were in a crowd fighting and jostling with each other. Trying, what do you think happened? No, it was Pontius Pilate. No, no, it was Herod. No, it was Peter's fault. We, we, Jesus shouldn't have. They're trying to figure out why did all these things go wrong? Jesus is dead. And they're grieving. They're talking and they're discussing. And it's amazing. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. That means that he was behind them. You know, I hike and when someone catches up and passes me, I always feel embarrassed. I say, man, they're in better shape than I am. They're leaving me in the dust. Here's this guy that's just been crucified. and He's cruising along. Yeah. This hasn't stopped him at all. But they don't know who he is. They think he's some young, snazzy hiker. He's going to get to the hot springs before they are. And so he's off walking. And he catches up with them. And he gets involved in the conversation. He's not going to pass them. He just wants to hear what they're talking about. And so it says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. The word kept from recognizing is in the passive form. It means that they didn't look and try to understand. There was a sovereign purpose of God. Their eyes were prevented from taking in what they saw. They, they knew who Jesus was. But they were not allowed to really see who he was at this moment. There was a reason that they were, if you will, in a blind study. An inductive study to find out where they were. And he said to them, I love it, Jesus always asks great questions. That's a whole study you can do all the way through. Jesus is a great question asker. This is the inductive character. He's going to let the truth come out by people talking about it. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk in? You know, he's saying, you guys are just going back and forth arguing with each other. What are you arguing about? What are you talking about? What's so intense? And you notice they're walking and they stop in their tracks. You ever been with someone where you're walking along and the issue becomes so intense? You can't walk anymore. You've got to stop and just focus on what's at hand. It's not because they were tired. It was because they couldn't take another step. They were being forced to talk about what was in their hearts. They just stood still. And they were looking sad. They clearly weren't hiding their emotions. They were overwhelmed. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him. Now, it's interesting. There's two people on the road, but only one is named. Have you ever wondered why? You know what Cleopas means? It means a sight of glory. His name means I see glorious things. He's standing before the most glorious person in history, and he can't see him. He can't even live up to his name. That's how this, the story is, has so many subtle ironies here. So Cleopas means the sight of glory is his name. He answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened? 
You can hear his sarcastic push. What's wrong with you? Everybody knows what we're talking about. It's the talk of the town. Did you not see what's going on? And he said to them, what things? Jesus is not going to give in. He's going to make them talk. Induct, and if you're ever leading an inductive Bible study on a Christian Sunday, you have a Bible study, don't give in too early when you're asking questions. Keep probing until people talk. One of the great things a good teacher does, he keeps people going until finally someone starts uh, sharing what's on their mind. Jesus insists. They don't know who he is. What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, is now the third day since these things have happened. So that's the third class. It's the inductive method of saying, what's on your heart? Why are you stirring? Why are you so sad? What's the issue? And that brings us then to the fourth session and this wonderful Sunday of teaching in verses 25 to 27. Here we find where our Lord uh, is going to come and, and explain to them after they relate just a few other facts. It says, yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were there with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So this is a story of unbelief, of facts of an empty tomb, but no sense of what the meaning was. And now this incognito Jesus begins to teach these disciples. As he begins to teach them, he begins to initiate what we can call biblical theology. He's going to take them on a tour of what the main theme of the Old Testament. He's going to say, listen, I want you to think with me what the scriptures teach. So how does he start? And he said to them, oh, foolish ones. My goodness. This is a stranger coming up in the middle. He's saying, man, you guys are daffy. That's not a way to win friends, is it? But he lays it out there. Oh, foolish ones. And not this, you're foolish. I mean, you're not thinking, but you're slow of heart to believe. You don't really believe. He knows. He knows what he had taught. Three times he had told them. He said, this is how it's going to happen. And they didn't believe it. They were unwilling to accept it. All, not just what he had said, but notice now, all that the prophets have spoken. Now, we need to stop and let that sink in for a moment. Jesus is with these men on the road, and they're talking about events that had just happened in the last three days. And he's saying, you know what your problem is? You aren't reading your Bible. You're not understanding your Bible. Because everything that's happened has already been in the Bible. And Jesus is saying, that's why I was able to tell you what was going to happen three times. Because I read my Bible and I understand it. So we pause here for just a moment and let that sink in. 
When we read the Old Testament, we are reading a Christian book. It is Christian through and through. The whole story of what Jesus came to do, what he accomplished, is all there. That's what he's saying. I'm going to show you that it's there. The Old Testament is the story of Easter Sunday and Good Friday and the whole message of the kingdom of God in Christ. It's all there. As he goes on to say this, he says, You're not just foolish, slow of heart, but you have not believed what the prophets have spoken. And then listen to this. Was it not necessary? He said, something had to happen. It was not a possibility, a potentiality. It was a necessity. It's something that had to happen. And what is it that he said it had to happen? That the Christ, the Messiah, that's the word Christ, Christos is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Mashiach, from which we get Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ should suffer these things. He's saying all the things you're talking about, that he was rejected, that he was crucified, that he was buried, that he died, all these things. It was necessary that they happen. And it is a preparation for him to enter into his glory, to become the sovereign Lord of the universe. And how does he prove it? This incognito teacher that's none other than the risen Christ. These two uh, men on the road are utterly stunned that they've become foolish and unbelieving. And they're being given a Bible study as they're walking along. And he says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wow, we need to stop and let that all sink in. Notice, first of all, he starts with Moses. That's called the Torah, the law. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he goes through those books, and he says, do you see how this speaks of the Messiah? And then it says he went through all the prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets. Can you say all their names? Okay. He goes through them and he says, just like you heard this morning, a little, a wonderful, that name with all the references of Christ. Jesus goes through every book and says, and then we have here a great word. He interpreted to them. Now, when you get around theological type people, they'll talk about hermeneutics. It's kind of a mouthful of a word. Hermeneutics is literally the Greek word that's used here. that's translated interpreted. Hermeneuo, it's a de hermeneuo, it means to interpret. So hermeneutics is, how do you interpret the Bible? Do you interpret the Bible in a way that says the Old Testament has nothing to do with Jesus? The New Testament is all about Christ? That's one way to interpret the Bible. Jesus is teaching us here on the first Christian Sunday in history. In the first Christian educational program, he says, I want you to understand how to read your Bible. I want you to learn how to interpret it. And the only Bible they had is the one that starts at Genesis and in our canon ends at Malachi. And he says, you interpret it, and you interpret it in light of Christ. If you're reading the Old Testament and you don't see Jesus, you have blinders on your eyes. 
You need to have the blinders taken off. Jesus said, this is all about me and Moses and other writings, including all of the history and the Psalms, all the prophets. Notice it says he interpreted them in all the scriptures. Now, the Hebrew canon is made up of three parts. Maybe you've heard it. It's called the Tanakh. That's what the Hebrews call their canon. The T is for Torah. The N, Na, for the Navi'im, the prophets. And then the K at the end, Tanakh, is for the Kotevim, the writings. Those are the history and the poetry. That's their canon. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter where you go in that canon of the scriptures, of what we call the Old Testament, it's about him. Now, the very first educational class of Christian hermeneutics, Jesus said, is the Bible is all about Jesus. Why don't we believe that? Why don't we practice that? Why don't we know how to read like that? That's what he's telling us that we need to do. So that's uh, where he says you're foolish and you don't understand these things. He, what passages we might ask then, if we just pause for a moment, would Jesus have appealed to if he was uh, looking at the canon? How about Genesis 3.15? The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. How about Exodus 12? The Passover where not a bone is to be broken. How about Leviticus 16? The day of atonement where sin is covered. Or Numbers 24? The star that will show to his birth. Deuteronomy 18.15 A prophet like unto Moses that will be coming. What about the prophets? A virgin shall be with child. Isaiah 7.14 You shall call him Emmanuel. How about the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, wonderful Counselor, Isaiah 9. How about Isaiah 53? The suffering servant by whose stripes we are healed. Jeremiah 31, a new covenant. Daniel 7.14, the Son of Man. And on and on we can go all the way through. Uh, if we had time, we could go through some of those. In my next study, I'll get to look at Isaiah 53 with you. But in the writings, we can think of Joshua 5, when the uh, captain of the Lord of hosts meets Joshua. Second Samuel 7.14, the promise of an eternal kingdom to David. Job, I know my Redeemer lives. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 23, the Good Shepherd. Psalm 110, my Lord has said to my Lord, I will make your kingdom rule. Proverbs 8, the wisdom of God that is eternal with him. All of these things suggest this. And so that brings us then to session five. Okay, so this lesson has gone on. Session five on this first Sunday is now verses 28 to 33. The fifth Sunday class is taught by Jesus, still incognito, and now they sit down at table. I love this. This is Luther. He wrote a whole series of sayings called his table talk, where all the theology is going on as you're breaking bread. You know the word companion means breading together, com, pan, bread. When you break bread, you're becoming a friend. When you eat together, you come closer together. So they sit down. They finally got to the hot springs town, to the place where they're going. The two disciples, Cleopas, that means seeing glorious things as they're still unable to see the glory before him. But they know they're hungry. So they sit down. And what happens when we read in verse 28? So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. So Jesus said, hey, you know, I'm going to keep on going. No, wait. 
We need you to stay. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day now is far spent. Nobody in their right minds is going to travel anymore. Stop right here. This is the end of the day. This is it. Okay? So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. It's right at that moment that the sovereign purposes of God allowed their eyes that could not see to recognize him as he began to fellowship with them as the bread of life, giving them the bread of life. And they recognized him. Suddenly, there's the startling thing. I, could you imagine what's going through their brain? This man who's been walking with us knows the scriptures like no one we've ever known. He said all of these things are supposed to happen. And it's Jesus himself. I mean, that's enough to give you a heart attack right there. And what happens? And he vanished. He disappeared from their sight. This one that is very human is also fully divine. An amazing thing. He can appear and disappear as he wills. But we're going to see he's very, very human. He's breaking bread. He's eating. He's fellowshipping. So this fifth class is the one in which suddenly their eyes open. In theology, we call that illumination. When suddenly the lights go on and the darkness is dispelled and we understand things that we never knew before. That is what we hope will happen when we preach, when we teach, when we study, when we fellowship. And so, lesson five on this first Sunday is Jesus is no longer incognito. He's known to be who he is. He had been their teacher. But he disappears. Now, that brings us to session six, verses 34 to 36. So we look again, what do we find here? It says... And starting at verse 33, uh, let's go a little bit earlier. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Heartburn at table is usually not a good thing. But heartburn with scripture is a great thing. When you're consumed with passion and desire to know more about who this Lord Jesus is. This is the prayer that we should be praying for your preachers and your teachers and your Bible study leaders. Oh Lord, may they have the ability to open the scriptures in such a way that there's a fire in the belly of the people who are listening. They say, I want to know more. Don't stop. Tell me more. I need to hear this. This is what I have to have. And so their next session is they rose in verse 33, that same hour. Suddenly, they, no one in their right mind is going to travel now. They turn around and go back seven miles in the dark. Something so extraordinary has happened. They can't sit still. They take off in the dark and head back, retracing all of their steps. And as their eyes are open and they return, we discover they get to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. That's where we get our great word, He has risen indeed, on Sunday. It comes right out of Luke 24. He's risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon. 
Simon had a personal encounter with Christ. He'd gone to the tomb and didn't see him, but sometime in this first Sunday, the Lord made an appearance to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he's known to them in the breaking of the bread. And at that point, what we have is this recounting of their experience. And so that's lesson six. They're back together where they started, and now they're saying, it's really true. And that brings us to session seven, verses 36 to 43. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Jesus is needing to prove he's really alive. He's really a human being. He's more than a human being, but he's a human being. By the way, this shows you on Sundays we should always have good food available, right? That's right from the beginning. Fellowship and partying is part of Christianity. Studying the Word, eating together. And Jesus was the one that said, well, I want you to see I'm real. I'm eating. So the seventh session, if you will, is the coffee break on the Sunday. And they get together and they're fellowshipping. And then comes our most important session eight, where all of these things now are put together and become, if you will, the paradigm of what Christian thinking should be about reading the Old Testament in light of Christ. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. He said, don't you remember I told you this three times? I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise again on the third day. It's the third day. Here I am. I'm keeping my word. My word is true. And guess what? My word that I'm teaching you, do you know where it comes from? It comes from your Bible. This Old Testament. That's where it all is. Notice how he puts it. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So the first thing that we see here is that Jesus again gives an Old Testament biblical theology. He goes through and he said, the whole canon is about Christ. What he told to the men on the road to Emmaus, he repeats to the entire Christian group. Those fellows got to have a double lesson that day. They were the head of the class. But this was the point. The Old Testament speaks about him. Not only is it an Old Testament biblical theology, but it is an authoritative biblical theology. It must happen. There was no doubt about this. This is why Jesus said three times, I'm going to be alive. Because the scriptures tell us that this is going to happen on the third day. Now, this is where we might stop and say, well, where do we see the third day? Well, it was on the third day when they traveled as Abraham and Isaac to Mount Moriah that the son was given back from sacrifice. It was on the third day that Jonah is spit up out of the 
out of the whale. By the way, some must say, nobody could have lived for three days in a whale. I don't think Jonah lived. I think he was dead. I think the reason Jesus appeals to that is that he was a dead man. He was resurrected. It's an Old Testament resurrection. He was dead and alive. That's why Jesus said, that's the sign of Jonah. I'll be dead, but I'll be alive. We so downplay that story as though, we, how did he stay alive? He didn't stay alive. He was dead. The Lord gave him resurrection life. Jonah's alive and living in that story by a miracle of resurrection, anticipating Jesus' resurrection. We can find other examples of the third day. Read through the Old Testament and you'll find different places where the third day or something exciting happens. The Old Testament, Jesus saw it. He said it's the third day where this happened and here it is. It was his Bible. It was his Old Testament that said this. And so what we see is that it is an Old Testament biblical theology that shows us Christ. It's an authoritative theology where what was written there must happen. And then it is something that is coupled with the divine intervention of our reading. When we open the Bible, it is a supernatural opportunity for God himself to enter our lives. Notice what happens. It says in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. We are just as unable to see the truth of Scripture as these men and women were back then. But if we can open the Scripture and see them, you're watching a miracle of God in your own life. When a minister prays, oh Lord, would you help us to understand? That is not a perfunctory aspect of a liturgy. It is a plea for a miracle for God to open our hearts and our deadness, our blindness and our deafness. To hear the living God commune with us and create the fire in our souls where we know we've been in the presence of Almighty God. That's your privilege. The Word of God is filled with Christ. It is coupled with divine illumination, which gives us then, if we put this all together, Christocentric hermeneutics. Okay? Christ-centered interpretation of the Bible. That when we read the Bible, because we're Christians, we want to read the Bible like Jesus reads it, like Jesus taught us in our first Sunday school class. He said, read it with me in mind everywhere you turn. I love how old uh, Haddon Spurgeon put it, the great Baptist preacher, the reformed thinker of England in the past century. He said, wherever I open the Bible, I head straight cross country for Christ. And that's the way we need to learn to read the Bible. The Holy Spirit is present as we open the Bible wherever we are to show us of Christ. And then he said to them, notice, thus it is written. Jesus is saying, I'm not telling you this now that I'm the Lord of the New Testament age. I'm going by what the scriptures say, what is written. Thus it is written, one, that the Christ should suffer about Isaiah 53 among many. Psalm 22. And on the third day, we've talked about some of the third days that are the sign of Jonah. Rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Did you know that the Great Commission, Jesus says, is part of the Old Testament? We can see that if we know our Bibles, when we think about the language of Genesis chapter 12, the call for Abraham. 
Abraham, get up and go to a land I will show you, because in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Read Psalm 67. O Lord, praise your name so that all the nations may fear you. Look at Isaiah 42, verses 6 or 7. The Messiah will be a light unto the Gentiles, unto the nations. Jesus said, my great commission doesn't start with me. I'm just bringing it to fulfillment because it's in the scriptures. Yeah, go make disciples of all the nations. Because that's what God's word has already told us in the Old Testament. The scriptures tell us the gospel message that Christ should suffer. That he should rise on the third day. That the gospel calls us to turn from sin to new life so that we might be forgiven. What's the benefit of the new covenant? That your sins will be forgiven. That God will remember them no more. And that you proclaim this name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. This is the beginning of the great commission that the Old Testament had given us. And you are witnesses of these things. So what we have here then is how can we do this? Well, the answer is, as we conclude, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that was prophesied in Joel chapter 2, that I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, not just on Jews, all flesh, Gentiles too. Do you realize Jesus is just an Old Testament prophet? Was fulfilling the Old Testament. That was his Bible. What does that mean for us? It means as we conclude tonight, we need to heartily embrace what Jesus taught us, which is a Christ-centered interpretation of the entire Bible. To properly entire, interpret the Bible, we need to see Christ as its center and recognize that this is what the Holy Spirit, given by God through his word, will bring to us. So I conclude with this thought. In the scriptures, there's an inseparable link between word and spirit. The Holy Spirit inspires the word of God. The Holy Spirit illumines the hearts of sinners to understand that word. He enables preachers by giving them what we call divine unction to preach not just as human beings, but God speaking through their words as though they knew exactly who you are and what you needed to hear because God has come to speak to you not because of their greatness but because they're bringing the word of God and when that happens we begin to sense the spiritual fire of the Holy Spirit the word and spirit are inseparable so tonight what can I say enjoy these next series of studies and relish them because Jesus wants to meet you on every page in every study because it's all about him. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to reflect on the scriptures. We pray that you will give us a deeper understanding and love for your word. And we thank you for the leadership of this uh, pastoral staff that wants to deepen their congregation to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is the heart of this great revelation of your word. Lord Jesus, by your spirit, dwell in us richly. And may we take this tool that Jesus gave to us at the very first educational day of Christianity, and may we put it to work for your glory alone, in Jesus' name. Amen.
close with a newer chorus for this congregation, but it's taken directly from Scripture. To him who sits on the throne, and unto the Lamb, to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever. Words are in your uh, bulletin sheet. Would you stand, please? You've already sung it to him who sits on the throne and under the lamb, to him who sits on that throne and to that lamb. Be blessing and glory and honor and power, both now and forever. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen.